Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 102. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $8,910 each. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South. I'm your host, John Barrett, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. We're two Bitcoin fanatics who love talking about Bitcoin and blockchain and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Longtime listeners, thank you so much for joining us again. New listeners, welcome to the show. We hope you enjoy it. On today's show, I am honored to have with me here in the Treehouse studio, Michael Lentz. Michael has been actively involved in the rapidly growing Nashville Bitcoin community, and now he's taking it to the next level with his new business, Cryptocurrency Basics. Join me, listeners, as we learn about Michael's beginnings and how he found his calling as a cryptocurrency educator here in Nashville, Tennessee, the Athens of the South. Listeners, it's a beautiful afternoon in Nashville, Tennessee. I am here at the Treehouse Studio with a local guy by the name of Michael Lentz. Michael is starting his own Bitcoin business in the Bitcoin sphere, cryptocurrency basics. Michael, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Great to have you here. I met Michael at our Bit Lunch, and we've talked over the past couple of months. And just recently, he gave me his business card, which is very impressive looking. I also like the feel of this business card. It says Cryptocurrency Basics. And I love that idea because I think in the space right now, these days, we don't have enough conversations about cryptocurrency basics. So, for instance, you might listen to my podcast, and we might be talking about something that started two years ago, and you may have no idea what we're talking about. Or if you listen to what is my favorite podcast in the Bitcoin space, that is Let's Talk Bitcoin with Adam B. Levine, Andreas Antonopoulos, Stephanie Murphy, and Jonathan Moen. I love that podcast because they are talking about things that I'm really interested in. But if you're a new person to the space and you tune into that podcast and they're talking about segregated witness, right, what does that even mean? To a newcomer, that means absolutely nothing. And therefore, I'm excited about anything that has to do with cryptocurrency basics. So how about if we begin with you and how you first got into the space? Tell our listeners what your background is and what brought you into this space. 
So I got started in Bitcoin when the whole real estate crash was happening, basically. Um, I started researching economics. I started, you know, watching videos all over YouTube about economics, how the financial system worked, all these types of things, because during the real estate collapse, you know, you'd have one person who said, oh, well, this is what happened with the real estate, or this is what happened, or this is what happened. And I realized that I didn't understand any of them, that I didn't actually know. So I started researching economics. And um, that was probably about 2009 that I really got into that, um, which was right about the time that Bitcoin came out. So I heard about Bitcoin um, for the first time around then and really started getting into it at about 2010. Um, so I was, you know, researching Bitcoin. I had been to, like, I went to, I think, Libertopia, uh, which is down in San Diego, this conference in 2011. Hmm, cool. Um, and so I met, like, the Bitcoin Magazine guys at that time, which I think Vitalik might have actually been there um, at the time. Nice. Um, there was a couple a couple of those guys that were pretty uh, skinny, Slavic-looking guys. So I think, <laughs> I think he might have been there. Um, I became familiar with Bitcoin at that time, let's say. And then I had a little bit of money, so I was investing in the stock market at the time. So I made a little bit of money for myself and my parents in the stock market which led me in 2013 to being able to um, start managing some family investments in Bitcoin. And so in 2013 is really when I got into the market of Bitcoin. Fast forward to this, well, last fall, um, my, and my mom said something to me that really sparked the idea for this business where she just said, you know, none of this would have been possible if you hadn't walked me through it. Hmm. And it made me realize that there's... Um, uh, a real gap in the space between um, like with the user interface and how accessible it is for people, especially yeah. for people who want to get involved, who have money, who are not very savvy with the internet. Yeah. So I think there's a huge gap there because, you know, you can have now the internet is much more accessible for people, but um, generally speaking, I'm, there's a huge portion of the population just here in the United States that is, you know, interested in investing or does a lot of investing, but they're not good at the internet. And mm -hmm. for something where essentially you have to manage your own investment, if you're not familiar with the internet, there's a huge gap basically in accessibility. So that's where I got the idea for the business. And I incorporated in January. I'm networking and taking clients now and basically education and consulting. So I'm not actually managing or giving any financial advice for anybody, but mm -hmm. I'm doing education, you know, if people want to learn about it or consulting if they need help walking through it, either over the phone or um, in person here in Nashville. Nice. So, you know, you always hear people saying that I'm not giving financial advice. Can we not give financial advice? Is that true? You can give financial advice, but the problem becomes if you start telling people who have a lot of money and put a lot of money into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, if they were to lose some money or mm -hmm. even just do something themselves that lost some money, there's the potential for, you know, either having had become a fiduciary or even just for fraud. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a huge legal gray area right now yeah. where it's not ex explicitly illegal, but it's something that everybody says it now because everyone's aware that there's the potential for it to become illegal or right. for people to interpret that in an illegal way. And so every time you hear somebody say that, they're basically just saying that they don't want to become the Supreme Court case that decides whether it's really legal or not. I see. And then there's also the potential for retribution from somebody like an ass whooping that you gotta <laughs> yeah, i lost all my life savings I'm like, you know they tar and feather you and they this guy gave us the worst financial advice ever bitcoin crashed it went from twenty thousand down to ten thousand it's a scam right i don't i don't want to be meeting anybody's uh, sicilian cousins no no and definitely not so cool man so uh as far as your clientele I have to assume it's people who are over 40. Do you imagine that most of your clients will be people who are over 40 who are not real, maybe even over 50 who are not real tech savvy, who don't learn you know, about tech as quickly as young people seem to get it? 
Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of the target market so far um, that I'm looking at networking through is older people who are not as savvy with the internet. Because obviously with cryptocurrency, it's an internet technology. So it's very accessible for people who are fluid on the internet, you know, who can watch YouTube videos, who can read forums or Reddit or go to different websites and things. But Mm -hmm. if you're not good at the internet, you don't self-learn on the internet. And also if you don't have the time, I mean, maybe some people, you know, like people that I've talked to, like CFOs of companies, you know, maybe they're just too busy, you know, and it's worth it to just pay somebody to give you like, Hey, I'm going to take an hour and just learn about this. I don't have a month to research all these different websites or find out what's real. Cause that's the thing is there's so many websites or so much information. Maybe you just don't even have time. So either a combination of that, either, you know, the internet savviness or, you know, the expedience of time. Yeah, you know, I remember years ago starting out around 2011 and combing the internet for Bitcoin information and finding very little. There was almost nothing on YouTube at the time. And maybe it was 2010 that I first started looking into it. And it was very frustrating. And I would get on some forum or some, you know, chat room and start talking and asking these questions. And I was often accused of being a troll. Get out of here, troll. And at the time, I didn't even know what they meant by troll. Like, (laughs) why am I being called a troll? Why am I being cussed at? You know, and I just really was, it was baffling to me that there weren't more people out there that were helping. But then every once in a while, I would get lucky and someone would say, hey, kid, you know, here's some advice for you. And I would take that advice and I'd go look into this or follow a link. And then, of course, occasionally I'd get some really bad advice, like the guy that told me when I wanted to start Bitcoin mining and I was trying to figure it out. He said, don't even waste your money. With Bitcoin at the price of only $3 per, you'll only be mining a Bitcoin a day. It's not worth the. <laughs> it's not worth the. And I listened to him, you know, because uh. I thought, yeah, that's true. All this money, all this equipment, and I'll only be making three bucks a day. You know, I, I couldn't see what what it was going to become because obviously hindsight's 2020 we can't see the future but you know the other thing is that when it comes to knowledge about bitcoin when it comes to passing on the knowledge that i have now or that i've gained over the years just as you have about bitcoin i find myself looking back on how i've evangelized other people and being very frustrated at myself still that most of the people i've evangelized to including family and friends just have not taken me seriously. And I think part of the problem has been my approach, my delivery. And, you know, there's something funny I saw online. It's a picture of a guy that looks pretty rational, just talking to someone normally. And underneath the caption is how I think I look when I'm talking about Bitcoin. And then the next picture is how I actually look when I'm talking about Bitcoin. They show the guy that just looks insane. His eyes are bulging. His hands are, you know, flailing in the air. And so I think that was me. And I think my problem was that I didn't come to the people I was evangelizing to with subjects that they were already familiar with. For instance, the idea of maybe inflation. I would come from a perspective of Bitcoin as opposed to coming from a perspective of what is it in your normal life that you would like to do. So I like the whole idea of your approach. Let's talk about the idea that they've said for years, don't put more into cryptocurrency than you're comfortable losing. Talk to us about that a little bit, will you? I guess to address that, I would say I I agree with it. You know, I think that people should only invest what they're comfortable losing. Yes. You know, they should do their own research. They should research things and invest in things that they understand. So education is a big component of that. Um, When you were mentioning evangelizing to other people, um, it made me think about how uh, one of the things that when I try to talk to people about Bitcoin is that I talk to them about how there's kind of an American bias, I feel like, as far as not understanding the benefits of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency 
off the top like immediately mm -hmm. and that's because here in the united states we are spoiled with having relatively the least corrupt financial system relative to let's say places like venezuela or you know mm -hmm. many places in africa or lots of different other places where people don't have access to banking services mm -hmm. so it's one thing where you can say like okay well this is a great technology for people who are unbanked or this that and the other but you know people's eyes kind of glaze over because if you if you're not very familiar you know i mean i i get into discussions with people where they'll say well it's not backed by anything like the dollar is backed by gold well mm -hmm. the dollar is not backed by gold but they have this perception right or they have you know these perceptions of like well why do i care if it's going to allow more people to have access to banking service because i have a visa card in my wallet yeah or whatever so i think that there's a little bit of difficulty from an american perspective of appreciating even even though there are benefits for people here in, in the United States, um, I think there's a difficulty in appreciating those things right away because we do have access to banking services. We do have, you know, you can uh, buy things on the internet easily, and if your card gets stolen, you can get that money back right away. Mm -hmm. You know, our money is relatively more stable than other places in the country. So for somebody who doesn't exist in this world of, you know, understanding money and being economically savvy, the benefits are not apparent right away because they'll say well you can't you know it doesn't really have a lot of function you can't spend it right away so like what's what's the benefit to me essentially and yeah. it's like okay well you know 30 years from now your wealth won't all be eroded away but you know right what's on netflix tonight like that that's like not you know who's thinking about that and that's not you know i'm not criticizing those people because it's reasonable to yeah. think about like what are you doing tonight that's reasonable yeah. but unless you would unless you're in that world it's harder to really appreciate the benefits. I think so, man. God, there's so many things that come to mind just listening to you talk. You know, um, so many people lost, let's just talk about seniors that lost so much money in the crash of 2009. Yeah. And they just took it as a matter of course. It was just as natural as the sunshine or as a cloudy day. It's like, that's just what happened. And we all have to kind of, you know, work together to continue to be good consumers. And I lost, you know, 10, 20, 30% of my net worth for my retirement. But, you know, they took it as a very natural thing. My mother's included in that. But, you know, in reading more on my own about IRAs or about 401ks, for instance, what people don't know, and I've talked to a bunch of people since I started researching this, older people, they're not aware of the fees that are killing their money. So if you have a 401k and you go and do your own investigation and look at the fees that you're being charged over the life thus far of that 401k, let's say you've had it for 10 years, look at the fees you've been charged and look at what you would have in your pocket if you had not been charged those fees. If you just actually had that sitting in a bank account as it is, would you have made more money than having it in the 401k. In a lot of instances, they're finding out, yes, if you had just put it under your mattress, you would have more money because those fees have been eating that. And that's pretty scary stuff. So, you know, a lot of the people that you might be talking with, maybe some of those people are people who've experienced that, not seeing the money grow that, you know, this financial planner had told them it's going to grow in this way and they're not seeing it grow in that way. I listen to Max Kaiser occasionally when I can stand his goofiness. He's a smart guy. You know, he has a lot of experience on wall street and he has a lot of experience with trading and he says basically when he used to advise people he said the companies he worked for they told their employees these guys who were setting up retirement funds for people they told them your job is to get their money your job is to extract money from them and 
you know, it does seem like that's the name of the game. You know, it's nice to think that these guys are out there helping seniors set up a beautiful retirement for themselves. But when we look at those fees, it's hard to accept that as reality. It is a crazy thing to think about. My grandma lost a portion of her retirement um, in Washington Mutual stock when that when Washington Mutual went under in the 2008 hmm. um, collapse. That is an interesting thing about the way the financial system works now, about how you're disincentivized from holding cash uh, because of inflation. But then at the same time, if, if you put your money into these various investment vehicles where, you know, let's say fees, and then if you add in fees and then add in inflation, then you're really even not that much ahead uh, in the end anyway, yeah. um, except, you know, you're obviously paying for the guys who are taking the fees. Yeah. Uh, you're putting their kids through college. Um, yeah. You know, I use an example when I talk to people. Imagine that your grandparents worked their entire lives and then in um, 1960, they, they had a million dollars worth of money. And they put that money into a box and put it in a safety deposit box in cash, you know, dollar bills. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, I want my grandkids to have this money mm -hmm. in December of 2017. I want them to open up the box and that'll be their inheritance, you know, whatever. It's just, it's a, it's kind of a kooky scenario, but let's just say whatever. Yeah. They worked million dollars cash in the box. We want them to have it in 2017. How much money would you actually have when you open the box? So, or how much, how much would you expect that you should have when you open the box? Yeah. I mean, I think it's reasonable to say that, you know, most people would say that they should have a million dollars or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that a million dollars worth of money in 1960 was $118,000. So they would have put $118,000 in the box, which at that time, relative to house prices, represents about nine to 10 houses because mm -hmm. the average house price back then was about $11,900. Mm-hmm. And then you would open the box today, or in December, this past December, and you would have $118,000, which relative to average house prices is about one-third of one house. So your grandparents could have worked their whole lives and accumulated nine to ten houses of actual wealth. And if they would have put that into cash and handed it down to you 57 years later, um, the math is right, right? That's close enough for 57 me. 57 years? Yeah. Um, I believe it's 57 years later, then you would have one-third of a house. One third um, of the house. So, you, so the amount of wealth that has basically been eroded away in terms of keeping your money in cash is nine houses worth. Well, wow, so I mean, you'd have just a little over a tenth of that million dollars that you could actually have in terms of spending power. Right. But then even if you look at the way inflation has caused the price of things to go up, such as houses, then you've lost even more. Right. And it's funny because when you talk about inflation, people tend to think that inflation is just as natural as, you know, the flowing of a river <laughs> or, again, you know, a, a cloudy day or a rainbow. You know, in, inflation is actually created by human beings. And, you know, anybody that hasn't done it yet, take a look at the Federal Reserve, find out when it was created, find out what it actually is and understand that it is 12 private banks with 12 men that are unelected officials that are there leading these 12 private banks. And in some parts of the world and sometimes in history, when you had such consortiums that were condoned by the government, those would be called cartels. It's funny because people put their money in a bank still, and they're earning these days, what, 0.1% <laughs> interest or less, not even that? Less than that. Less than 0.1% interest. I was just at the bank, I think the, what was it, like a five-year CD, I want to say it was somewhere around like, 0.25 for like a five-year CD. Yeah, that's friggin' pr pathetic. So let's say that I go, I don't have a million dollars, but if I put a million dollars in the bank to earn that interest, what's the bank going to do with that money? Well, they're going to loan that out, but they have the ability to loan it out more than just once, right? They can leverage that and it's, you know, fractional reserve banking. They can leverage that out, but let's say they only could 
loan it out once. What are they loaning it out for? A lot more than 0.25%, right? They're loaning it out for what, 5%? Or more. Or more, right? <laughs> so they can take our money and they can loan it out and make a lot of money, but they can't give us anything. Just that fact alone should tell people that something is really rotten right now. Because if they're loaning that out for 5%, why can't they just give us 1%? Wouldn't that be kind of fair? <laughs> What's up with that? Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know? what, what is fair i guess you know uh a half a percent give us a, if you're if you can make six percent loaning that money out banks right why can't you give us a half a percent when we put that money in the bank why people who are into the free market would say that the market uh you know the market demand for whatever percent return that they're going to get is what kind of sets the market but yeah um and i think in terms of like the basics of cryptocurrency you know a lot of people who got into it in the beginning um, you know, they were much more politically driven um, because of, you know, like in my case, uh, through, you know, the trying to understand economics because of the financial, um, the financial collapse or, you know, just people who are much more libertarian minded. But I think that um, a big problem with bringing these, th these types of things up to people now, the people who, you know, are just getting into Bitcoin or just hearing about it is that if they're not politically motivated, which many people aren't, and I don't blame them for it, mm -hmm. um, you know, then those types of things aren't going to resonate with them. But I think that there are a lot of other benefits to cryptocurrency or what cryptocurrency is promising to deliver um, with adaptation and advancement in the blockchain that mm -hmm. people do have tangible ties to in everyday life. Mm -hmm. Like, who feels good about putting their credit card information into a website when you're buying something? Like, I bought something from rubberstamps.net a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, so you have to type in there, you know, your whole name, your address, your credit card, all this stuff. Yeah. Who feels good about that? Like, I don't, I'm not excited to give my credit card information with, you know, I don't know anything about rubberstamps.net. This is just a recent thing in my mind that I bought something off of their website. But, yeah. you know, then rubberstamps.net has to store my credit card information or, you know, make sure that that's secure. So I'm basically, you know, nobody feels good about that. Nobody no. gets excited when you get to a website. And it's like, okay, now I need to put in my credit card information. Right. But with cryptocurrency, um, you know, you can make essentially you can you can have an entire infrastructure that doesn't require people's personal information to make transactions. Yeah. And that even in terms of, you know, for banks with the money that they have to pay for fraud. And of, and of course, it's a double edged sword because then, you know, for um, uh, dispute resolution or things like that, you don't have those things. So there are pros and cons, yeah. but there is a huge advantage in terms of security yeah. that people would, you know, that I think people would resonate with a lot more. So, you know, I try to. I try to definitely talk about more of those types of things mm -hmm. um, when I'm talking to people rather than, you know, of course it is an important thing to think about. The politics got me into Bitcoin or, you know, learning about economics got me into Bitcoin. Yeah. So if I just tell other people about the politics and the economics of Bitcoin, then yeah. they will get into Bitcoin too. Yeah. But that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm inferring that politics and economics are important to somebody else, whereas what's probably important to them is paying less bank fees or not having to put your information into a website or, yeah. you know, uh, being able to send your kid money in college for, you know, pennies on the dollar overnight and not have to worry about them getting it or whatever. There are lots of different flexible, actual, practical uses of cryptocurrency that um, are vastly superior to the banking system just in terms of security or performance that would benefit a lot of people. So I don't think that, I think we get caught up, Yes, but, you know, the people who are earlier into the space, I think it's easier to get caught up in the politics or the economics because those things are important and they make sense. But, yeah. but there's a reason why the people who aren't into Bitcoin yet aren't into Bitcoin. And I would suggest that perhaps it's because they don't care as much about economics and politics. And that's what people like to talk about a lot. 
Yeah. But I think what you said is really true when it comes to the credit card. So I would encourage anybody listening, if you have not ever set up a Bitcoin wallet on your phone, one of my favorites is the Mycelium wallet. I also like the Samurai wallet, which was recommended to me by Andreas Antonopoulos. But so you have this Bitcoin wallet on your phone, and let's say you have $50 worth of Bitcoin on there. It's no big deal. And you go to overstock.com. I did this not long ago. I wanted a little carpet for my bedroom. So when I step out of my bed, uh, in the cold winter morning, because I sleep with my room cold, I don't want to step on that wooden floor. It just feels too freaking cold. I want a little carpet there. So I ordered this little carpet from overstock.com, <laughs> and I paid with Bitcoin. It was really fast. It was really easy. So if you haven't done anything like that ever, listen, just do it. And it feels really good. It's really fun. It's really fast. And I'll tell you why I prefer that over pulling out the credit card. But before I tell you that, I'll tell you that that <laughs> carpet has since been... Um, uh, heartily urinated on by my dog Max, and it is now hanging on my clothesline in my backyard through three rainstorms, and it still smells horribly like pee. And that's because I happened to be out of town, and when I finally came back and found it, it had soaked through to the floor. Anyway, nightmare situation. Probably way too much information about my dog Max's urine, but um, anyway, my point is that that transaction with overstock.com my phone i scan the qr code i send it no big deal um that compared to pulling out my credit card which is actually my debit card which is attached to my bank account now i don't have a ton of money in my bank account i never have maybe someday i will but still it's my bank account and i'm usually okay with the whole thing up until i have to turn the card over and give them the secret three number key when i have to do that i'm like god this is ridiculous why would i have to give them that you know but you have to give them that so they know that it's you but who's getting that information and you know you do the, you do the same thing when you hand your debit or credit card to a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant or at a shop I mean, you know, you never know where that information goes. And, you know, that's the kind of sketchy, weird, outdated thing that, you know, we really shouldn't have to put up with anymore. And the fact that that is, you know, our only alternative in a lot of people's minds still is pretty sad considering that we're supposed to be, you know, progressively minded, tech minded people in, in the year 2018. And we're still doing the exact same thing that you'd have to do in 1950, except in 1950, you didn't have the little three number thing on the back that you had to give up. So I don't know. It's pretty sad, but yeah, I like everything you say about you know, educating people and about getting people interested. So as far as starting your business, I like your card here. Again, I like the, I like the stock you've used and it's kind of, it's not a matte finish. It's a little bit glossy. It feels like a playing card, actually cryptocurrency basics. And the website is cryptocurrencybasics.us. Uh, so tell us what your plans are for this website for your business. Well, the website so far, in my opinion, is uh, just a placeholder, you know, a place to kind of establish, you know, an internet presence for the business, because really my model for the business is to do more personal networking and talking to people and networking that way, because, you know, my idea for the business is there's already people out there, you know, you can you can watch on YouTube, you can watch YouTube videos or go to different websites and get walked through all these things. But really what I'm trying to target is more people who are, who don't self-learn on the internet or mm -hmm. who are not savvy with the internet. So, yeah. you know, the website is just a placeholder. Um, you know, it kind of explains a little bit about me, a little bit about the business, but really what I'm trying to focus on is, um, getting out there in the real world and talking to people about cryptocurrency. Cool. So talk to us, if you would, about the clients that you imagine yourself having. You know, who are these guys? What's the demographic? What's their age? 
you know, men or women? Are they busy businessmen who, again, don't self-learn well on the Internet? And you would actually go and meet with them in their office. Maybe you'd go and you'd meet with them in a conference room and talk to them and their employees. Or what do you envision as your actual clientele? Yeah. So, well, so far, I mean, I'm, I've talked to a few people that are CFO type of people, CTOs, you know, and other people, you know, working through networks of, um, you know, people that are not as savvy with the internet. If people are savvy on the internet, then it's a pretty quick thing. You know, I can, I can basically give you a couple ideas on where to get started or this, that, and the other, but you know, my target market is really to talk to people who are, um, not savvy with the internet, not self-learners on the internet. They don't have a lot of time to research this, or they don't want to spend the time. Um, you know, and they're looking at, you know, either understanding the cryptocurrency space or, you know, they're looking at getting involved, speculating in the cryptocurrency space. Another aspect of this is that um, if we look at the technology and look at, you know, cryptocurrency, the people who, and especially if you watch some of these, you know, the Senate hearings or even you hear, you know, politicians talk about it and stuff like that, which, you know, politicians are generally older people and they're very busy. But a lot of times it sounds like they kind of don't know what they're talking about relative to cryptocurrency or they don't understand the technology. They're not really up on what it's about and they're not really as able to be forward seeing, I guess, and seeing what things it could improve. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the revolutionary aspects of disrupting, you know, various models of government or, you know, institutions, but even just in a practical sense, the benefits that it has to offer. Because you could make the argument that the internet is going to disrupt institutions or disrupt governance or governments and these types of things. And it has. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that it also hasn't come with a whole host of benefits that governments and institutions have also benefited from. Yeah. Um, but the issue is, is that these Older people uh, who maybe are not as on the internet as frequently as I am or as up to date on the internet, you know, and therefore as up up on cryptocurrency are the ones who are going to be making the rules and making the laws. And so I think it's important at the very least to be starting to educate those people, you know, as much as possible and talk to them, you know. So that's another thing that I'm hoping to do through the networking is to kind of be able to reach into those kinds of circles. Um, The recent SEC uh, CFTC hearing. Um, I believe it's Giancarlo, who's the chairman of the CFTC, was saying that, you know, he's very pro Bitcoin because his grandkids talk about it all the time. Yeah, that's cool. And that's, you know, that's type that type of thing where, like, you know, when people understand it and they understand all the different potentials and, you know, the ways that these things are going, you know, it's possible that the cat is out of the bag and governments can't stop it anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's also possible that they could make things really difficult and inconvenient and stupid at the same time. Yeah. So, you know. It remains to be seen if that's the case, but, you know, if it is the case, then we would like it to be as smooth of a ride as possible, I think, generally. So, it'd be better for them to be educated than not. Absolutely. And, you know, they may have in their minds their own use cases for it. They may be wanting more transparency with elections. You know, who knows what they're thinking. But, yeah, if they can learn about whatever aspect they're interested in learning about, um, certainly that can't hurt. Yeah, I was privileged to have... Uh, Commissioner Greg Gonzalez on the show last year, or maybe it was two years ago, and then I just met with him. He invited me to lunch downtown, and I went and had lunch. We had uh, (laughs) Chick-fil-A, sat there and had (laughs) Chick-fil-A salads um, there in the towers. And he was very a very gracious host, and he actually turned his phone recorder on and recorded my answers to the questions that he asked me and my basic explanation for what blockchain is and what it means when you talk about the largest cryptographically secured network the world has ever seen. You know, he really appreciated learning more about Bitcoin and blockchain that was beyond anything that 
really his peers were talking about there in government because like you said people in government they're busy and they don't always have the time or inclination to sit and educate themselves um i think one of the potential promises of blockchain technology is that if you can make um which you know this is obviously very theoretical but if you could make an electoral type like a let's say a private blockchain used for elections um you'd be able to make voting much more essentially simpler um, and you could do things um, that you could essentially engineer in a way, I think. I'm, I've kind of just started thinking about this loosely lately. Um, that It would be possible, you know, like let's say if there was, um, you had a private blockchain where you're able to, um, you know, cast votes on things. And it was just as simple as having an app on your phone, right? Mm -hmm. And consider it like, uh, I guess this is where we're going to get maybe a little bit out of the basics. But, you know, if you had, let's say you had a token. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you get for the, you get for the thing, right? So there's two addresses that are set up for a yes or a no. Mm -hmm. Everybody who's on the, who is on the private blockchain gets their one token, right? Mm -hmm. So like, let's say we're going to vote on something. We each get our token. We can send it to the yes or the no address. Mm. You could even take that so far as to say, what if you did it in a way like a proof of stake system? Um, you know, where essentially, you know, you have uh block producers, you mm -hmm. know, where people who are, um, uh, what, what would you like uh, the delegates, you know, of the particular areas, you know, that are that are being the block producer? What if you made a voting system where it's not just one token? So you have the one token, one vote, but you could actually delegate your token to somebody else. So you could end up having people who, um, you know, they become essentially like delegated voters on particular issues. You could have people essentially self-organize into uh coalitions around certain issues that wouldn't even require the third party service or the the party system basically you could have you know various other parties that would have opinions on things and they could become you know delegated uh representatives on particular issues or mm -hmm. it, it even would allow like it would it would democratize lobbying money because then it's like instead of having to buy off a politician you would just say like hey we'll just we'll pay two bucks if you send us your token or whatever it is you know and then nice. could, and then instead of you know joe blow up at the capitol getting all the lobbying money you, why, why shouldn't you get two dollars for your vote that's essentially what's happening anyway yeah that's um, right so it would democratize lobbying uh, money it would allow like for the potential for even you know other different parties or even people that have you know like you can look at people like um uh let's say joe rogan you know he runs one yeah. of the most popular podcasts you know he's obviously got strong opinions on things such as marijuana Mm -hmm. maybe people want joe rogan to use his educated opinion to vote for them so joe rogan could actually just by virtue of having an educated political opinion he could have political clout on a closed private blockchain system of voting that wouldn't even require something like congress nice man um so something i think things like that you know like uh that's obviously way far off into the future and yeah. you know i don't even know if anybody's working on it i know they're doing voting systems but that's just like an idea of like something that you could build if you have this cryptographically secured blockchain with tokens and all these different types of things if you make it as easy as you know clicking up a couple buttons on the app on your phone what do you need people in congress for like you wouldn't even need that anymore and and I mean, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of other types of applications, you know, that that blockchain offers that we're just starting to tap the surface. I agree. Scratched. Yeah, every time there's an election, the side that loses, they scream unfair election. It probably was. Probably both sides were cheating in, as well as they could, and the one that cheated the best won. Who knows? But, yeah, so that transparency and, uh, you know, bringing some kind of integrity to voting, that's pretty exciting stuff and i agree it's probably a long way in the future but uh yeah i love everything you said man so um bring it back home to us for your business which is cryptocurrency basics 
tell our listeners, if you would, how they can find you and how they can communicate with you if they want a consultation, let's say, or if they want to meet with you personally here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, or if they want to meet with you, I assume you would consult people over the telephone or by way of email? Yep. Yeah, I do uh, either phone um, or in-person consultations. And obviously, you can uh, message me to talk about any of those via email. So CryptocurrencyBasics.us is my website. And my email address is Michael at CryptocurrencyBasics.us. Nice. Michael Lentz. Listeners, you've been listening to Michael Lentz, the owner of Cryptocurrency Basics, uh, another exciting thing happening right here in Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South. Michael, thank you so much for coming by the Treehouse Studio today and for being on the show. And uh, I'm sure I will see you soon at one of our uh, Bitcoin events here in Nashville. Uh, once a month, we have a bit lunch over at Salsa Restaurant in the Gulch. And then every Tuesday from 7 p.m. till 10 p.m., we have Bitcoins and Beer at the Village Pub and Beer Garden, just adjacent to Mitchell's Deli. Join us, please, if you would, and you might have a chance to meet Michael in person and to talk with him about cryptocurrency basics and, uh, if nothing else, to learn a little bit about bitcoin and blockchain and all of that michael thanks again for being on the show hey thanks for having me on yep see you bye i'd like to thank my guest on today's show michael lentz michael i applaud you sir for bringing cryptocurrency basics to nashville as we move forward with lightning speed here at the dawn of the age of cryptocurrency And if you would like to get a hold of Michael Lentz, just go to www.cryptocurrencybasics.us or email Michael at michael at cryptocurrencybasics.us. That's michael at cryptocurrencybasics.us. I'd also like to thank all of the good people who join us each Tuesday night for Bitcoins and Beer at the Village Pub and Beer Garden. That's right, Bitcoins and Beer every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. And don't forget to tip your waitress and your bartender. Hi, Paige. Good folks over there at the Village Pub and Beer Garden on McGavick Pike right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And finally, I'd like to thank my loyal listeners. That's you for tuning in and for giving me your thoughtful feedback about the show. Signing off now from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South. I'm John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, here each week with my trusty little doggly woggly Maxwell Raskolnikov Coyote T-Rex, otherwise known as Max, right by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Until next week, friends, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Have a good week, y'all. Bye. Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things are to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain. Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain, till everybody knows.
most Everybody knows till everybody knows your name Down the road it will be told about the death of old Mount Gox About traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks But them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee See, they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free Our Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Our Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny A Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain A Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure Everybody knows your name, sing it Oh Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go Oh, Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go We have front row seats in the development of a historic technology that is doing things that have never been done before. And every day that goes by, I just feel amazed at, at having this opportunity to be frontline observer and sometimes influencer in what is turning out to be perhaps a historic generational worldwide impactful disruptive change in technology, one that will create history. And that is an amazing feeling. Oh, <laughs> oh,